brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts, offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. They say breaking up is hard to do, and it is. The loss of a relationship can be completely devastating, gut-wrenching, and life-changing. You may find yourself doing some good old-fashioned crazy. I'm talking country music kind of crazy, like following and unfollowing all his exes on Instagram, considering your kooky cousin's idea of sneaking into his room to put an app on his phone that tracks all his communication and location starts to seem like, eh, maybe not that bad. Or maybe just the classic drive by his house and hide in his bushes for a couple of hours starts to seem like genuine concern for his well-being. You know, just to make sure he's okay. You start to become someone you didn't even recognize. And frankly, if your best friend told you she was doing this, you might arrange an intervention. Or at least a girl's night out to get her mind off of him. We are truly wired to connect, and the loss of love is the ultimate disconnection. What if there were a way to fully honor ourselves and the love we once had, and fully heal, and learn something to benefit future relationships? Wouldn't it be awesome if a therapist or somebody developed a game plan for that? Guess what? Someone did! It's called Conscious Uncoupling and was made popular by Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin, but it was developed by Katherine Woodward Thomas, a rock star therapist and really cool person all around. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's hear about it from her. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to Make More Love, Not War. This is Tara Harrison, licensed professional counselor and relationship expert. This is her husband, Jeff Harrison, of no qualifications whatsoever, just a normal dude. Welcome to Make More Love, Not War. We are here with Katherine Woodward Thomas. She is the author of New York Times bestseller, Conscious Uncoupling, Five Steps to Living 
Happily Even After, which was nominated for a Books for a Better Life Award, and the national bestseller Calling in the One, Seven Weeks to Attract the Love of Your Life. She is also a licensed marriage and family therapist and teacher to thousands from all corners of the world in her virtual and in-person learning communities. Catherine's the originator of the conscious uncoupling process made famous by Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin, as well as the creator of the Calling in the One 49 Days to Love online course. Catherine's also had the honor of being interviewed by Maria Shriver on her infamous Architects of Change series. And now she's even more honored to be interviewed by Make More Love, Not War, because, you know, we're awesome. Um, Okay, let's get back to Catherine. She's also a main stage. She's been a main stage speaker at Lewis Howe's Live Summit of Greatness annual conference and has been privileged to share the stage with Alanis Morissette, Marianne Williamson, Neil Donald Walsh, Jean Houston, Mary Manon Morrissey, and other extraordinary teachers. Her life-affirming and highly transformative teachings have been featured on the Today Show, as well as in the New York Times, Time Magazine, The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, The London Times, People Magazine, Women's Health, and many other media outlets throughout the world. And again, now the outstanding honor of being on the Make More Love Not War podcast is just topping all of them, I'm quite sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to put that first from now on. Yes, yes. I mean, that should be, I mean, all over this. Just keep writing that. (laughs) I'm listening to you thinking, oh, my gosh, I've got to cut that bio. But thank you so much for reading all of it. Oh, you're welcome. Very impressive. Thank you. I love your work. I have, I've, I've had the honor of reading Conscious Uncoupling. I haven't. Uh, yet read Calling in the One. So maybe we could talk about that just a little bit. What led you to write that book? Oh, well, I I always, you know, (laughs) I had the good fortune of having a lot of relational trauma in my early years, uh, which I would suspect is is common for our group, for our our tribe. (laughs) And and we're the ones who said, hey, let me get to the bottom of this. So I, I worked very, very hard to overcome toxic patterns that I could certainly trace back to things that happened and the meaning that I made and how I internalized what happened and then found myself duplicating, you know, patterns of unavailability. So uh, certainly alcoholic men, engaged men, commitment phobic men, they were all kind of impossible loves. And so that was my very painful pattern. And uh, kind of Really, I think questing for the one was probably the central drama of my life, even though I was doing, you know, becoming a therapist and doing a lot of inner spiritual development. And I had a nonprofit working with the homeless for 10 years, and I was a singer songwriter. So I mean, I had a very rich life in many other ways. But on a core level, I felt very alone. And uh, when I became a therapist, I would come home to my empty apartment with my little kitty clover. And it felt really unfair that I was helping people have great relationships, but I somehow couldn't have that breakthrough myself. So when I was in my early forties, I was doing a lot of metaphysical spiritual work around this deliberate creation, this, this ability to set an intention and live into that future. So I uh, set an intention that was kind of outrageous to be engaged by my 42nd birthday when I was 41. It was eight months out. I had absolutely no prospects for a husband, like a really great husband. And I'd been trying to find that person for years. 
but I called a friend and shared this intention with her. And she said something that really had a very profound impact on me. She said, Catherine, I will hold that intention with and for you if you give me permission to hold you accountable mm-hmm. for being the woman you would need to be. Ooh, I love that. In order yes. for that to happen. And it just shifted my focus from, you know, running out to try and make something happen to going within and, um, and really looking for the kind of invisible blocks that I had. You know, I think there's a, a, a pretty big gap between wanting something and, and actually being ready to receive it. And I also think there's a gap between psychological insights about why you're not ready to receive it as opposed to actually being ready to receive it. So I think they're two different things. And so somehow inside of that commitment, it was almost like I set an intention. If I'd set an intention to run a marathon, right? It's, it just, it suddenly changed who I was being, how I was organizing my days. It, it stretched me into with this sense of urgency, like, okay, my race with time is not necessarily to, to have that person. It's to be the person I would need to be. So suddenly I became much more willing to see my own part in those, you know, failed love affairs for all those years. And even though on the... It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause, and MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. It felt like it was just kind of happening to me. I really got curious about how it was happening through me. And I found that inside of that willingness to take profound levels of self-responsibility, I saw all, all sorts of things, like agreements I had made with former loves in the past or an agreement with myself that I was never going to let myself get hurt like that again. I saw uh, toxic dynamics in relationships where I habitually gave power away and only reclaimed it when I was alone. I saw that I had a lot of resentments towards past loves where I hadn't really taken responsibility for my part, which meant that I couldn't actually trust myself to go into another relationship. I saw that I had core beliefs about myself and that I was acting out of those core beliefs. 
So for example, I really saw that I have an, I had an, I'm not valuable, very, very deep seated belief, very easy to see where it came from, how I created that story, certainly from my relationship with my parents and the things that happened. But what I saw was that I was actually perpetuating gathering evidence for the belief because I would show up in ways that would actually train people to not value me. So then I had a relational feedback loop. So very, very specific. I think, you know, we, we, we look at beliefs, we know beliefs are getting in our way, but what I was looking for was the way that I then showed up inside of that consciousness that was generating the story to continue where I became really the, the creator of that story so I saw, as I saw these things, I gave them up. I started to show up in ways that were outside of who I had known myself to be. That meant things like setting boundaries, uh, holding the integrity of my own sovereignty, uh, speaking up for the first time, um, and 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 then doing all the kind of you know feng shui things in my home for love and taking all the pictures down that were kind of lonely, isolated figures, putting up pictures of couples and community and pairs and and then doing proactive things like putting two nightstands in the table clearing out space in my closet all of those kinds of things but really I started every day in meditation feeling into what it will feel like when that happens and asking myself three questions each day the first one being what would I what would I need to give up to manifest this future? And listened for the answer, like like a like an inquiry into life, you know, just opening up that inquiry. What would I need to begin to embrace and cultivate to prepare myself to receive this future? And uh, what's my next step that I can take immediately to put this into action? So it was an extremely active, co-creative uh, experience evolving beyond the painful patterns of my past. And lo and behold, I'm doing this for several weeks. And um, I start thinking of this man who I had uh, dated six years before, who for years I thought of as the one that got away, and one foot in front of the other. Uh, and I ended up reconnecting with him in this completely crazy way. It was right at the beginning of uh, online dating. Nobody had their pictures up. And it was kind of still a weird thing to do. It was a little marginal, kind of risky. But because I had this commitment, my, my girlfriend was really saying, look, you've got to get online. And, 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 and I was coachable. So even though I felt embarrassed and I felt weird about it, I did go online out of a quarter of a million people on the site that I went to, because you could see how many people around the country were on this site, narrowed it down to a potential 80 people in my area, all anonymous, no pictures. I chose one person and it ended up being the man that I had dated six years before. And, and we were engaged before my 42nd birthday. Wow, that's amazing. And it's yeah, so it was, empowering, too. Yeah. It's like the Pina Colada song. It is a little <laughs> like that. But you know, when that happened, I thought, oh my gosh, this can't be a personal miracle. Like, this is too crazy. This, this has to be for a greater purpose. I had never written a book before, but I started sharing the work with others. 
And then, and then the book kind of wrote itself because the people who I was sharing it with, I would do workshops in it. And uh, then they wanted to share it with their friends who lived in other states. So they started asking me to write it down. Then someone came to me and said, oh, I hear you're writing a book. Do you need an agent? Then the agent just came to me. And then I got a book deal with Random House with no platform. I mean, it was so crazy magical, the whole thing. So it has that energy to it. Sometimes people buy that book. They put it by their nightstand. And all of a sudden, like three people from their past will call them to make amends. (laughs) <laughs> and say, you know, and clean up the past. It, it, I hear stories like that all the time. Well, I, the, the most important thing that I see that you did is that you released expectations and you took control of what you could do instead of expecting some something to happen to you. And it's so opposite of, you know, you use happily even after and conscious uncoupling. It's so opposite of the happily ever after stuff that we all grow up with that we're all trying to deprogram ourselves from being Disney daters and expecting people to come to you. (laughs) I'm going to trademark that. Okay. So, so 10 years, so I write the book, it becomes a national bestseller. I, I start training coaches. I have thousands and thousands of students coming to me and 10 years in my was been now, as I affectionately call him, and I divorced. So I thought kind of my career might be over at that point. I mean, it was, it was such a hard time, but it was what we chose to do. It was um, a mutual decision that was honoring, and we felt it was the best, the best evolution of our relationship. We joined on a shared commitment to make sure our daughter had a really happy childhood. Because he had, oops, hang on a sec, my earbud fell out. Because he had uh, parental alienation mm. from his mom That's painful. When, he was a, when he was a little boy. And I had parental alienation from my dad when I was uh, a young girl. So, I, uh, so we both knew we didn't want that to happen to our daughter. So, so that it shared intention became kind of a North Star for us. And we found our way to a very... Um, beyond amicable, I'm going to say, a very kind, generative divorce. Generative in the sense that we were actually actively co-creating our our happy post-divorce family, what we called our happy even after family, an expanded family. And that, that ended up becoming the five steps of conscious uncoupling, which I started to then teach to people. And I'd had several thousands of people go through that program. And when Gwyneth Paltrow heard about it, and then it got popped into the lexicon. So then that became a New York Times bestseller. And, um, and, uh, and in, that, in that, one of the first things I do in that teaching is deconstruct the happily ever after myth. Because when I was going through it, I mean, I had the complexity, obviously, of being a known relationship expert, right? So we all know that because you're a therapist and you guys know, you know, the, the, the vulnerability of that and how you can imagine how vulnerable I felt with all of these students following me. Absolutely. And I first started to tell people and they'd freak out. They'd start to cry and they'd say, oh, my God, if it doesn't work for you, it's never going to work for me. So there was this assumption of failure, and all of the feelings that I had about my own, oh my goodness, did I fail? But at some point I started to ask myself, like, wait a minute, whose standard am I holding myself accountable to? Is this really living for me authentically as a failure? 
And it wasn't really a failure. It was quite an elegant transition. We still had a beautiful relationship. Um, it felt like the most true and honest decision that we could make. So it was it was the awareness of, oh, I'm I'm kind of holding myself accountable covertly to happily ever after. And inside of that, assuming failure. Um, and and where did that come from again? Like, wait a minute, who who created that story and and is it valid for me? So I actually got curious about it and I started researching it. And I found out that the happily ever after myth is about four hundred years old. It was created in Venice, Italy, in the uh, in in about uh, the 16th century. And at the time, in the 16th century, in Venice, Italy, the lifespan was about 40 years of age, and there was very little mobility. There was uh, actually a very locked-in class structure, meaning that if you were born in poverty, you could look forward to a lifetime of poverty with no escape. Um, and in fact, there was a law on the books at the time that forbid a noble person to marry a commoner so that the class structure was even legally locked in. And if you look at all the happily ever after stories, they always end with a commoner marrying a noble mm. person and coming yeah. into great wealth. So they're really escapist fantasies. So life was very, very hard for people in Venice, Italy back then. In fact, half the children died before their 16th birthday. Mm. There was a lot of suffering, but it was post-Renaissance times, so people knew how to read. So there was one publisher who came up with this new literary form called a fairy tale, and it spread like wildfire because people could have this escape through reading these fantasies, and then the French got hold of it, and then the English got hold of it and kept refining and refining until it became our modern-day fairy tale, and of course, Romantic love uh, took root as a as a as an aspiration only about two hundred years ago. So it's kind of now spread throughout the world. This happily ever after idea that there's one person for everyone, and if we find that perfect person, then we're going to live happily ever after. And somehow, if it doesn't work out like that, it's a failure. So in our culture, the reality is. Serial monogamy is the norm. So most of us are slated to have two to three significant relationships in our lifetime. And I'm not promoting that. I'm just reporting that. This actually, I got this statistic from Helen Fisher, Dr. Helen Fisher uh, from Rutgers University, and, uh, and who's a well-known love anthropologist. Yes. And, uh, and basically that in, implies, you know, at least one to two significant breakups. But inside of our assumption of failure, we've actually never learned how to do that really well. And, and our biology has not caught up with our culture in the sense that our biology is still kind of back a thousand years ago where if we wandered away from our tribe, we felt we were going to die. Oh, yeah, so it's a go, huge it, rupture huge trauma that rupture of attachment and it can feel like life and death stakes so we will go to war very easily and because nature is so designed to keep us bonded to each other which is our survival that uh will even nature will even trick us into going into a negative bond before having no bond at all so we will have we will be predisposed to go from soulmate to soul hate 
because hate is very highly engaged, very invested. We are not separate from someone when we hate them. We are in there with them almost to the extent like when we're loving with, you know, mm-hmm. in a loving relationship with them. So I call it nature's trick to keep us engaged and bonded with that person. Because nature, in nature's logic, uh, a negative bond is better than no bond at all. So, um, so there's all these things. And then, of course, the legal system has kind of picked up and preyed upon that tendency to hate our former partner. I don't think it was created that way. I think, you know, family courts were created uh, when after kind of, you know, Ronald Reagan unleashed the divorce revolution in the United States of America by creating no-fault divorce in California in the late 60s, I think it was. And it just, you know, washed over America, completely overwhelmed the court. So family court was created to be to simplify things, you know. But since then, you know, family court has become like a Bible of rules and regulations that require, you know, very um, high level attorneys to sort through everything. And, you know, who then end up, you know, having making their living, you know, so it's basically you know, billions of dollars every year are spelled, spent in the divorce industry. So in America alone. So it's it's become big business. So there's all these like tendencies to go to war. So the so conscious uncoupling is for those of us who really care about loving relationships. And we're gonna say, you know, we're we're not pro-divorce, we're pro-marriage, we're pro-commitment. And the reality is, is a lot of people will choose to uncouple. So let's do this consciously. Let's learn how to manage our own emotions and hold them from a deeper center and actually turn them from a negative impulse to do harm to ourselves and others and, and kind of harness the intensity of the energy and point it in the direction of positive change. And let's learn how to use this as a catalyst for profound growth and evolution and to use it to graduate from painful patterns and learn our lessons once and for all so that we're more equipped to love moving forward in the future rather than you know dim down to try and protect ourselves from ever being hurt again which is what we're we're likely to do and many people do many people find their way into our offices who have been shut down for 5 years 10 years 20 years i've met far too many people who said you know after that divorce i haven't dated in you know over a decade and i don't know that i want to you know once you've had your heart broken you're not too keen on getting back in there again if you don't really learn your lessons and trust yourself to have that not happen again yeah and i think that's why it's it's so worthy to do the work you know i i understand when people come and they say well it's just too painful to do the work i'd rather hide out in fear and shame and anger because at least they're safe and they'll keep me protected i'm i'm afraid to do the work and i i i understand where they're coming from but what i love about your book is how you really but through your own story and through through the the steps in the book you really outline how it is so worth it to do the work not only just for yourself but also also your future relationships in the sense that we hold trauma in our bodies and so if you're carrying this trauma from 
a relationship that you, you did that you stayed in fear and shame and anger and and didn't heal that then yeah you're going to bring it to the next relationship and so it's and then the next and the next and the next and so that impedes you from really being able to be in a healthy relationship so it's so worth worth the work yeah thank you i yeah i always say if you think that's hard try going throughout your whole life without feeling loved and 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 having a healthy, wholesome, nurturing relational field from which to create your life. Like to me, that's the hard work. Yeah, and we're all worthy of that, of feeling loved. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of my work has really um, become about healing these very deep core patterns that we were born into. But not just healing them, it's really about transforming them so that we can create something outside of them. And I think a lot of people um, have been working for a long time, but they're still kind of bumping into these painful patterns over and over again. That's the most frustrating. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've had this experience where someone walks into your office and they kind of sigh and they go, oh, do I have to tell that story again? Oh, yes. Right? Like we're kind of all sick of the story. But it's not really, you know, and it's not really what happened to us in the past. Like it's not about what happened 40, 30, 40 years ago. It's what happened 30, 40 minutes ago that's driving us crazy because we're still seeing evidence of the legacy of what did or didn't happen back then. That's what we keep being saddled with. So in the last, you know, 13 years, I've been just really fascinated with this inquiry of, well, what would have us have that story become a distant memory, a way we used to be, a problem we used to have, an issue we used to have. So we've been really deepening in, and I'm, I'm happy to say that we've made a lot of headway on this. And, uh, and I'm my own guinea pig. I don't teach anything unless I, you know, have already gained a certain degree of expertise and mastery in my own life. So I'm happy to say I'm, I'm you know, deliciously repartnered with a really beautiful man. And we have such an, an amazing relationship that is far beyond any relationship I've ever had because there's this developmental aspect to the work that we're doing. So the more that we develop ourselves and use whatever's happen to us as a springboard to catalyze our own transformation and development, then then we, we bring more to the table in the next relationship. Well, I think it's also important to note, and you point this out in the book, that this work can be done individually. Sometimes the other person isn't able or willing to do the work with you in conscious uncoupling. And that doesn't mean that you can't do the work and create. Well, I think it's great that you're saying that because I loved that Gwyneth modeled what's possible so beautifully. Uh, Gwyneth and Chris have done that and continue to do that really beautifully. But it it does, uh, it did put the message out into the world that somehow this is about two people going through this together and being aligned and somehow on the same page. That's not at all the experience that I'm having with my clients, most people come in uh, individually to do the work. Uh, most of the people who come in are in a state of deep shock and deep grief. They have feelings of anger. They have feelings of hurt. 
Um, and what's motivating them to do the work is that they don't want to bring uh, all this anger and resentment into another relationship in the future. They want to resolve it. They're sick of the patterns. They can see the kind of the writing on the wall, like this is never going to get better unless I really get this. They don't want to hurt their kids by, you know, walking around with the baggage of festering resentments that are never quite fully healed. So they're really coming in to do their own work, to be complete, to be free, and to move forward with a deep sense of confidence in their capacity to love another person, to be loved again in their future. So where does someone start? What's the first step? Well, so the first step is, is step one is find emotional freedom mm. because most people who are coming to us in a breakup are just captivated by the heaviness in, in their heart, uh, by the physical sensations of trauma that they're going through, they're not being able to sleep, not being able to eat. Um, I think, you know, there's this saying, burned in love, I've been burned in love. And, and the truth is, is that um, if you've been rejected, uh, it is hitting on the the pain the pain parts of your brain, so you will actually feel like burning sensations in your skin. You have all these physical symptoms. I mean, I've been through breakups where, I, you know, half the hair on my head fell out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all sorts of things. And breakups are they they really kind of take us over. It's like life has us upside down and is shaking us from you know <laughs> shaking all of the all of the lies we've lived with out of, out of our pockets. Um, so we're, the, the good news is, is that we're kind of a captive audience to, to growth now. Um, it's not like, oh, let me just go work on myself because it's a good idea. And kind of have to go and get support. So, um, so step one is about uh, being able to hold and contain your feelings from a deeper center, being able to restore a sense of safety after trauma and people are at different levels of trauma certainly the the book really meets people who've been rejected which is the hardest the hardest thing i mean you know i was telling you before that nature has hardwired us to stay connected one of the things about being rejected is that it actually unleashes hormones in your body that that bring back all the initial feelings when you fir- when you first fell in love. See, that's nature's way of making us run after that mm-hmm. person and mm-hmm. to not give that up too easily, to try and convince them not to leave. So, but it's quite cruel in a way because, yeah. you know, at, the, at just the time where you'd want to diminish your investment in someone, you know, your body is doing all of these things to keep you connected to that person. So, you know, how do we how do we hold ourselves? How do we create recreate safety? How do we minimize trauma? How do we get ourselves out of reactivity when we're, you know, very likely to behave badly in a way that's really uncharacteristic of who we are? You know, the Japanese have a saying, you don't really know your wife until you divorce her. Mm-hmm. Right? And that, and that's really pointing to how badly, you know, we can behave. When we're not, you know, when, when there is a rupture of attachment, when we do go into that kind of crisis somatically. And, uh, you know, that's when we want to key someone's car, or throw bleach on all their good suits and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, none of us really want to do these things because we understand that the actions that we take and the choices that we're making in this period are setting us up and there's consequences to them that we're going to be living with for many years to come. And if we have children, those children will be living with them for many years to come. So we want to go through this in a way that's not going to create that negative karma 
not going to saddle us with, you know, further legal problems down the road. So, so for that reason, we want to, you know, learn how to hold and contain our own inner experience and begin to sponsor what's waking up as a result of this trauma and to, to point the energies of anger and rage and hurt and all of the, all of the difficult, overwhelming big feelings we might be having in the direction of positive change by setting an intention. So for example, if you're angry, what's waking up is the reclamation of your right to be treated well, the reclamation of your right to not be a doormat, but to be treated with honor, to be told the truth to, right? There's a lot of energy there. So you say, okay, from this moment forward, I will never again, you know, overgive to try and get someone to love me, to try and prove my value. From this moment forward, I will be in relationships where they are mutual, where they are, where someone's showing up with respect. You know, there's, there's, there's a fierce stand that needs to be taken. And then in step two, it kind of leads immediately to step two, because step two, we're still dealing with the trauma of separation. And, and, and as, as you know, you guys know, as therapists, you know that in trauma, what happens is, is that the, 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 whatever has happened is more than the psyche can integrate. So we will have a tendency to tell the story again and again and again and again. And so certainly when you're in a breakup, that's looking like, oh, he, oh, now I get what happened six months ago. You know, oh, when that phone call came in and oh my gosh, in that moment, I should have said. So we're telling that story over and over. We're trying to put the pieces together in a way we can live with what just occurred um, and, and maybe change what just occurred, but, but we're kind of captive by the story. And the problem is, though, is that we're telling the story from a very victimized place. We're, we're, we're enraged, we're angry at the other person, or we're angry at ourselves. So I like to say, even if it was 97% the other person's fault, you really want to take responsibility for your 3%. And to take responsibility in a way that's non-shaming and non-blaming, but kind of objective about who you were being. How are you showing up? You know, how are you giving your power away to this person? How are you showing up as less than who you are? How did you train this person to mistreat you? What were the red flags you were skipping over or minimizing? What motivated you to do that? So what we're looking to identify are the specific choices and behaviors that were being made that actually ended up uh, in this in this very toxic situation and put you in a position of being deeply swimsuit check sunscreen check phone charger check don't forget to pack the five hour energy it fits great in a pocket or carry-on and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything now get 20 percent off when you use code 5he travel at 5hourenergy.com Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5hourenergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. 
Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Disappointed and hurt uh, in a way that you never want to be again. So what we're looking for is to harvest the amends. What are you going to do differently from now on? What's your 3%? Now, people can get their lives out of that 3%. It's hard to get people to turn away from how badly the other person behaved. Mm -hmm. It's just that there's no access to power in that conversation. So what we're looking for is to restore the integrity of your relationship with yourself such that you know this could never happen again. And usually the mistakes that we make are somewhat covert in nature. Um, they, they are that we didn't set boundaries. We didn't speak up for ourselves. We didn't ask the questions we need the answers to. So we're looking for to really name that specifically and then to take make a promise to ourselves, take a vow to ourselves from this moment forward. I will always or I will never. And then to actually do that in such a way that you you really restore confidence in yourself. It's hard, it's humiliating to see the cost of those mistakes is shocking. But what we're looking to do is restore trust in your ability to love and be loved in the future. It leads right into step three, which is break the pattern, heal your heart. Because what happens is you see, oh, I never set boundaries with that person or gosh, I just, I kind of self-abandoned all the time to try and just do what they wanted to do. And, and I, I left myself in such a weak place because I didn't even know who I was anymore. Right. You're going to see things like that goes right into, to week, uh, to step three, which is about breaking the pattern and healing your heart. We get right down to what I call your source fracture wound. That's the original break in your heart. Who, who broke your heart in this way in the past? It's going to be your mom or your older sister or your grandfather, or somebody important to you, let you down, and you made decisions about yourself. And that's either going to be an acute trauma, like someone died, or it's going to be developmental. You had a narcissistic mother, and uh, you, 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 you never really had a sense that it was safe to be seen or safe to be you know, verbal about what was really what your preferences or, you know, you, you, so you missed that mirroring. So we're looking, but what we're looking for is the meaning that was made at the level of identity. So somehow if you were neglected as a child, you might have made that mean that I'm all alone in life. Mm-hmm. I'm all alone here. No one will ever show up for me. Everyone will always leave and I'll never get my needs met. And inside of that, if you feel into that conversation that was motivating you to self-abandon all the time to get someone to not leave you, which then ended up creating that they did leave you because you'd just been modeling leaving you for so long and, you know, there was no you there to love. So you kind of covertly created your worst nightmare. If you look at that, you know, you you can say to yourself, well, how old am I in this conversation? And I'm three. I'm three. But luckily, you're not three. You're actually 43 or 53 or 73. And you say, okay, sweetheart, I'm going to talk to the three-year-old and I'm going to first say, honey, you're not alone. I'm right here with you. And you're going to actually really awaken to a deeper truth that I'm deeply connected. I came here to love and be loved. I have the power to learn how to do this well, to root down relationships and make a home of it. I can learn what I didn't know, what I haven't known to do. And uh, you can literally 
begin to map out evolution beyond that pattern and graduate from that pattern forever. So the first three steps of conscious uncoupling are all internal, right? And that's what you didn't see with Gwyneth and Chris. You just saw steps four and five, right? But most of us can't do four and five because we're too captivated by a broken heart. We're too Mm -hmm. captivated by the victimized story. We're too captivated by the resignation about the pattern showing up again. So we have to do that internal work as the foundation. Step four then is becoming a love alchemist. And this is what I was referring to when Mark and I actually got really interested in how do we build a happy, even after family? How do we create a happy childhood for our daughter? So she's not like swimming in the unresolved resentments that are covert between us. How do we not make it so that now she has to do the work of going between two separate families who rarely speak to each other, who are not cohesive, who don't really like each other very much, so that she's always in a state of loss. If she comes to mom, she's losing dad. If she goes to dad, she's losing mom. How do we actually create cohesion? Well, you have to you have to do some clearing of the field. There are disappointments that are present. There have been betrayals that have happened. How do we actually clear those with each other? We think that clearing things is to explain our childhood and why we are the way we are and why we did what we did. That doesn't clear it for the other person. All that does is convince them, oh, yeah, you really can't be trusted because you're just like a time bomb. And I'm just going to step in the wrong place and it'll happen again. So, you know, in order to clear the, in order to clear the field between ourselves and another, we have to, you know, we have to go through a process where there's not just an empathetic hearing of the impact of our behavior, but there's also, um, there's also the ability to make an amends. Now, sometimes you can make an amends directly to a person, and sometimes you just have to say, I'll never do that to another person again. I will make that amends moving forward. And, and you take it, you know, you, you, you humbly put one foot in front of the other and decide to grow yourself in that direction. That begins to restore a certain level of integrity to the relational field. Can you give Can't, an example of an amends for those listening who are like, I don't even know what that is? Well, so so in amends moving forward, um, you know, if you were if you were selfish with your partner, and um, you know maybe you flirted with other men, and you thought it was kind of harmless, but it ended up hurting that person. Um, you know, to clear that, you know, and that contributed to the breakdown between you and the lack of trust between you. To clear that, you might sit and, you know, rather than kind of justifying, but I never cheated on you, right? That kind of, that's how we come, but I never cheated. I was just harmless. You know, I was just laughing with them. All you do is you, you give up who's right or who's wrong. You might not agree with your former partner's perspective. You just listen. You're willing to listen. I can hear that you felt emasculated. You felt humiliated. I got it. I'm so sorry. Ouch. That must have been horrible for you. And I can now see the impact is you don't really trust women. And you feel diminished as a man. Ouch. I can't really, you know, make that amends because we're not together anymore. I can't make that amends directly with you, but I hear you, and I and I will be much more conscious of my behavior moving forward. 
and I will always be, you know, and I will always promise to listen to you too, because it's not like he wasn't trying to tell me that. So what I can make an amends for is that when you tell me that something's upsetting you, I won't minimize it anymore. Mm. I'm sorry that I did that in the past. And now we have these children to co-raise. And when you have an upset, I will listen to you and I will take you seriously. I will try and be more in my heart and really hear what you have to say. Please forgive me. Right? You can just hear that it begin. It doesn't make it better what happened. But it begins to restore integrity to the relational field. Yeah, because you're holding space for the other person's feeling and you're validating it and you're empathizing with it and then you're and then you're creating an action that you can take to show that you understand and that you are not going to recreate that pattern again with that person. Yeah, I think people forget that, you know, if you're going to co-raise children, it, it's really not enough to have an amicable divorce because you're asking children to do the work instead of us doing the work. And maybe it's because we haven't known how to do the work. But, uh, you know, I think there is an obligation just to good parenthood. You know, we have an obligation to feed our children. We have an obligation to educate our children. I think we have an obligation to do our work with with the other person that we're co-raising this child with. That's that's an, that's a grown-up obligation. And, and part of co-parenting well and to, is to do our best. You know, if, you're, if you have like a narcissistic former spouse, which a lot of people come to me that have that situation, that's going to stretch you above and beyond to do this well. Uh, we can have a conversation about that and where we have to go for that. So this is not an easy thing that I'm asking people to do or inviting people to do or even pushing on people to do probably a little bit. But there are ways to do it where we can actually restore integrity to the new form of family that we are creating. And we can do that. And so there's this practice of just give up that you're right about that. Give up that the other person's too sensitive. Give up that this is their stuff from childhood that they never healed. You're probably right about all that. But you, but you still have children that you're raising. So just enter into that person's world for a moment and just get it and clear it for them. This isn't about you being right about this. This is about making things right between you and for your family moving forward to the best of your ability. Um, and then in step five, oh, in step four, also we have these wonderful acts of generosity that begin to create a sense of abundance again in the field. Like we're, we're, we're still a team we're still together in this. Uh, it's, it leaves everybody much more whole and complete. You can do that even if you don't have children. You just help your partner to move their things. You help their partners set up their new home. Maybe you give them, you know, a financial gift, or you, you know, you do something kind. Uh, even even just a blessing on their decision to leave you. I bless you to be happy as an act of generosity. Um, and then step five is about setting up structures. Uh, where everybody wins moving forward. And that's going to have to do with recreating the agreements that the relationship was founded upon, making those conscious. In the very beginning, I love that you picked up, uh, Tara, on uh, expectations. Because expectations are, uh, when, when our expectations are not met, our happiness goes down. The study after study shows this. So very often, why we get unhappy with our former partners is because we never really made the expectations uh, uh, very, very visible. Like, okay, I have an expectation that is kind of a, 
a, a, you know, almost a covert expectation that we grew to expect of each other that we'd always be there for each other emotionally. If anything ever happened, I'll be there for you. And suddenly they're not there for you. And so to, to be clear, like, okay, we had that expectation. We're going to make a new agreement around this. You do not hold the obligation to show up for me in a crisis any longer. I will now get my support, my main support from my family, my, my family of origin, my friends. Um, I let you off the hook for that. Your main obligation to me is now uh, centered around the business that we share or the children that we have in common um, or, you know, speaking well of me to our community of shared friends. You know, you know, these these are the kinds of new expectations we have. And, and it and we have rituals that help people to shift from one to the other. But basically, we're really looking at creating cohesion in the community, setting people up to win moving forward aligning our expectations with the new future that we're committed to creating. And that's when it tends to go well for people. This is a a beautiful process that you have. I mean, and it's really clear and it makes sense. And you have the steps outlined so well in the book. I, I, to anyone listening, everything that she said was awesome. You still need to read the book. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can't just take what we said and don't read the book. But seriously, it's an amazing book. Um, it's very thorough. It's you give great examples, you have good lists and tips and things like that throughout the book that I think are, are incredibly helpful. And I think you can even use the practices in this in a current relationship where you're trying to heal wounds that, you know, would look a little bit different because you can take responsibility and move forward and and heal the wound together in that sense. But the practices within this book can be used in any kind of relationship as well. It doesn't have to be romantic. It can be with a sibling. It can be with anyone you're connected to because sometimes relationships end, friendships end, business associations end. You know, there, I mean, it can be used in all different types of relationships. I I will say that some of the hardest, um, losses I've suffered or the losses of certain close friendships. Yeah. I think those are very hard on the heart. And I have had people in the conscious uncoupling program who are struggling with that. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think Yeah, that, and what we're talking yeah. about yeah, is freedom, conscious completion, freedom within ourselves where we're not, you know, carrying a lot of resentment. Um, I think that's what we're aspiring to. Sometimes you can stay friends and sometimes you choose not to. You know, people behave badly. You might not want to continue a relationship with that person, but we do need to be complete and at peace with that person. Merritt Malloy said, relationships that do not end peacefully do not end at all. So true. Yeah. I'm I'm down to 2% on my computer Okay, yes, I know we're just about out of time too. So um, thank you so very much for your time today. If those um, all of our listeners who are listening to this would like to find out more about you, where can they go? Well, if they go to KatherineWoodwardThomas.com, they're going to find um, both a, a Calling in the One starter kit that's free and also a Conscious Uncoupling starter kit that's free. And uh, I also have something called the Love Out Loud Daily because I'm I'm really about the evolution of love. So 
I just give out three times a week. Uh, I send out um, kind of short teachings on how to evolve our relationships and and really have beautiful relationships from a, a really high level conscious place. And um, so that's that's something people can just sign up for for free too. So that's KatherineWoodwardThomas.com. Catherine, we are so grateful to have had you on the show. Thank you so much for coming to talk about your books, Conscious Uncoupling, as well as Calling in the One, Seven Weeks to Attract the Love of Your Life. You have an amazing story and so grateful to have for you to have shared that with us. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or would like to be on our show, go to our website, makemorelovenotwar.com, and send us an email. If you enjoy our podcast and would like to actively push it up in the charts, go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. That makes a huge difference in the way podcasts move up at the rankings. Make More Love Not War is for entertainment purposes only. While some subjects may be informative and therapeutic in nature, this is not representative of the therapy process, nor is it intended to take the place of therapy. Real therapy is a one-on-one relationship where a client provides personal and vulnerable information about themselves confidentially to a licensed therapist. With this knowledge, the therapist will design a tailor-made treatment plan for the client. If you feel you are in need of therapy and live in the state of Texas, you can contact me via my website, taraharrison.com. I also offer online and in-person coaching to anyone around the world that focuses on specific goals you want to achieve in all areas of your life. If this podcast has caused you to feel you need immediate attention, please call 911 or go to your nearest hospital. Thanks for listening. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.